0: The scripture reading today is taken from 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 to 18. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. "'Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, "'Get up and eat.' "'He looked, and there at his head was a cake "'baked on hot stones and a jar of water. "'He ate and drank and lay down again. "'The angel of the Lord came a second time, "'touched him and said, "'Get up and eat, "'otherwise the journey will be too much for you. "'He got up and ate and drank. "'Then he went in the strength of that food,' For forty days and forty nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. They are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meolah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill, Whoever and whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him.
1: Hi there, we have a beautiful day here in Toronto. If you're in this area, you are experiencing it farther away. We hope you're also enjoying some good weather. We continue in our series on God who comes towards us, a God who is always coming to us, a God who loves us, indeed has created us for the purpose to ultimately come into relationship with him. So a God of compassion, love, mercy. Edward Farrell has... The statement uh, uh, goes this way. It was impossible for us to climb up to God, so God has come down to us. He has scaled himself to our size, knocks at our door, comes to us under the form of bread. He has become so human, so close, so intimate, that the risk now is to overlook, to forget, As Paul writes, the mystery hidden for centuries past and now revealed to us, Colossians 1, 26. So we can't get up to God, but God comes to us, and and that's the theme of this series that we're looking at. So we have seen God coming to us in creation, God coming to us as person, story of Abraham and God, uh, God coming to us in partnership, the story of God and Moses, all as paradigms for our engagement with him. And now today we, we consider the story of Elijah, and it has the theme of God coming to us as a God who wants to be in communion with us. So to be in communion, in deep connection, is is the direction we're going. So it's an invitation to feed on God, to feed on Jesus, indeed to make God and Jesus, our sole food, to eat Him so that we might uh, remain alive and grow spiritually. So, the story, if you go back a bit to 1 Kings 18, is Elijah um, in conflict, in battle with the prophets of Baal, the prophets that uh, Queen Jezebel has set up. And there's a whole movement in Israel at that time of worship to Baal. And Jezebel has her own reasons for doing this, mostly to empower herself. And 1 Kings 18 comes to this big battle where Elijah, through the power of God and God's work, overcomes and destroys the prophets of Baal. So it's interesting that that is a big victory for Elijah, you can imagine. A great high overcoming all of these prophets of Baal. And he is God's representative. So that's a, that's a happy story from Elijah's perspective. But when we go to 1 Kings 19, after that great victory, immediately uh, Jezebel hears about it from King Ahab, and she is furious, and she sends a note to Elijah that you are a dead person. I'm coming after you. And by tomorrow, you are going to be like my prophets of Baal, dead. Well, in spite of the great victory, uh, Elijah is full of fear. Uh, he's afraid of Queen Jezebel. And so as the story goes, First Kings 19, he flees. And he flees with his servant into the desert all the way to the south of the country. And there he leaves his servant behind and goes another day out into the desert. And the text tells us that at that point he is just totally exhausted, depressed, discouraged, and in fact he just wants to die. So in verse 4 1 Kings 19, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, the desert, and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree and he asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. So he's he's completely down and discouraged. He is indeed a prophet in crises. So depressed, feeling isolated, feeling angry, feeling bitter that this is the way it's ended up for him being mistreated, in spite of the great victory, this great high, there's now this great low, which, by the way, often that happens, doesn't it? In life, we have the highs, and then quickly, it's followed by a low, and, and we wonder where that's coming from. And that can lead to discouragement and worry, anger. Lamenting. I was talking to Muewe yesterday, and he had been talking to a friend and the the person was saying that there's this kind of midpoint between depression uh, and on that scale, depression on one end and sort of languishing and being just exhausted as a, as a midpoint. And he was saying that that's where we seem to be right now with the pandemic. It's, a lot of people are just languishing. There's no, it's like diving in muddy waters, man. You, you can't see anything, you just... Down there, you can barely see your hand, it's just muddy, languishing. And so, you know, that's that's where we often feel, and maybe we're feeling somewhat that way even right now, and that certainly was where Elijah was, and even beyond that, to the point of wanting to die. So he curls up under this broom tree, a big shrub, out in the desert and just lays down and hopes that he'll wake up on the other side. That's basically what he's hoping. And it's interesting, at that point, um, God comes to him. He comes to him through uh, an angel, and the angel provides for him. So it's interesting, Elijah is sleeping, depressed, discouraged, and then he feels the tap on his shoulder. He's wakened. And it's an angel of God, and the angel says, Get up and eat. And Elijah sort of comes to, and he sees this loaf of freshly baked bread on a stone and drink for him to to drink away, quench his thirst. And so he does that. He eats, he drinks, and then he goes right back to sleep. He's, He's still exhausted, and he sleeps longer. And then the angel comes again and taps him on the shoulder and says, Elijah, you need to eat and drink for you've got a long journey to go. You need to be strong enough for it. And so he, Elijah gets up and he eats and drinks. And then, being refreshed, he, at least to some degree, he moves on, continues toward Mount Horeb, which is 200 miles to the south, is the mountain where Moses. Uh, met God at Sinai, and he travels for 40 days, refreshed by God, by the angel, and he makes his way, 40 days in the desert. So that's, that's kind of the first part of the story. Exhausted, discouraged, depressed, wants to just simply give up, does so, and then God in compassion comes to him and restores him through his servant uh, physically with this food, and and hopefully also spiritually, enough at least that Elijah continues on the journey. And so it it is of note that, that God is not upset with Elijah, He's not saying, why did you flee away on your own? I didn't ask you to come all the way down here and you've done it. You should be back there. He he doesn't give Elijah a hard time at all. It's simply one of compassion and mercy and restoration. And so it it, it becomes, I I would say, a symbol for us as God provides for Elijah. And Elijah eats this bread from heaven that the angel has provided, so are we, invited to eat bread from heaven. We need bread, we know that, for our physical bodies. But we also need spiritual bread for our spiritual bodies, our spiritual life. The physical bread isn't going to do it for our spiritual life. We need bread from heaven for that. And so Jesus at one point says, I am the bread of life. We'll see that later. And God invites us and Jesus invites us to eat his bread. And so we're invited then in our lives as we make our journey 40 days in the wilderness. We all have 40 days in the wilderness. 40 days in the wilderness is a big symbol for your whole life. I was thinking yesterday that, you know, like 40 years, go back in my life 40 years, and start from there to where I am now. And I can say in a real way, you know, I've been 40 years in the desert. (laughs) That's me. Just like Elijah. 40 years. Whatever amount of time, doesn't have to be 40. But our time in the desert, our time of the human condition of being tired and frustrated and exhausted and languishing, just like this whole pandemic all around the world. You see the, the pictures of the folk in India right now. I've been in India, in Delhi. Delhi's a massive city, millions of people and everybody right on top of each other. It's no wonder the pandemic is going crazy in Delhi. There's no space. We languish. And so the invitation here is to keep feeding on God, to feed on Jesus. Jesus is indeed our soul food. Physical food is not enough. You might think it's enough. You may be young enough and strong enough right now and you think, I don't need really any kind of spiritual food. No, not true. You need it as much as I need it. We need spiritual food in Christ. We need to feed on him. We need to do that. Feed on Christ in, med- in meditation, in silence. Create some solitude. Listen to the word of God. Read it. We have more opportunities than ever to receive the word of God. Podcast, reading, in all kinds of translations, paraphrases. It's all there for you. No excuse not to be receiving spiritual food in your life. But it's a choice for you and it's a choice for me. We can choose not to do any of that well then, spiritually, we're going to languish. And what that means is we become less and less sensitive to God's voice. The psalmist says to Israel, Today, if you harden your hearts, that's always our leaning, our proclivity is to harden our hearts because we distance ourselves. And we become like clay that doesn't receive water. It just becomes harder and harder and harder. And when the water finally comes, it just bounces away. That can be us. And so we need to feed on God as much as Elijah fed on God. We need to feed on Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's our invitation. That's your invitation to consume bread from heaven. First part of the story. Elijah, 40 years, 40 days in the wilderness, comes to Mount Horeb, indeed comes to the very place, the cave, where Moses had been 600 years earlier when he asked that God would pass by. And he sees God pass by from the back, and remember in Exodus 33, I believe, Moses sees God and sees God's goodness So Elijah determines that he's going to find that place and go to that place. It would have been known. He goes to that very mountain. He goes to the place where Moses met God. He goes into the cave and then he sleeps again. And then God speaks to him in that situation, in that place. And it's interesting. He says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? calls him by name. What are you doing here? And immediately Elijah goes on this long statement about how he's been zealous for God, how he's done everything for God, and now he's isolated alone. They're going to try to take my life. They're threatening me. That's it. That's his response, this dialogue. And then God says to him, well, I want you to come outside the cave and listen to my voice. And so Elijah doesn't. Initially, he just stays there. And then you know the story. You know the story that God comes in a mighty wind, so strong that it breaks the the rocks apart, perhaps a tornado coming right up that little strip of the mountain, banging that. And then there's an earthquake. Everything rocking and rolled. And then there's actually fire from heaven. So all that's taking place outside the cave. Same signs of the theophany of God's presence to Moses and the people of Israel 600 years earlier. Same thing. But the text tells us that God was not particularly present in a special way, in any of that, he is because he's present in creation. But then, fourthly, there is the sound of sheer silence or the sound of a whisper, the sound of a hush. It's translated in a variety of ways. Your Bible will all be different. In the NRSV, which I'm using, it's a sound of sheer silence. That gets Elijah's attention. And at that point he wraps his mantle around his face and he goes outside of the cave and he listens. And he hears God say the same thing. What are you doing here, Elijah? And you know, that's not a bad question for all of us. Wherever we are, for whatever reason, feeling good, feeling not so good, Happy times, sad times. God says to you and he says to me, what are you doing here? Emphasis on the here. What are you doing here? Then he says his name and he says your name and he says my name. What are you doing here, Alan? What are you doing here, Rob? All of us. That's the that's state. What are you doing here? The sound of God through sheer silence coming to Elijah. At that point, God says to Elijah, well, I got something for you to do. I want you to return to where you're supposed to be, really, and I want you to anoint two new kings in Israel and Aram, and then I want you to find Elisha, and Elijah will be the next prophet after you. That's the job. And it's interesting in discouraging times, in depressing times, it, you know, it's impossible to talk somebody out of a depression. You ever tried that? Somebody's depressed, and you're going to go there and straighten them out, right? You're going to talk them out of their depression. It never works. You're never going to talk someone out of depression. The person needs to. Find the strength to do that themselves but one way you can maybe help is what God does here with Elijah he gives him a job he says this is what I want you to do and so Elijah does do that he may still be feeling like crap I don't know but he agrees to the job and as he's going he's got his task he's got his focus he begins to change First thing he does is actually go find Elijah and he throws his mantle over Elijah. He's keen on that. Hey, I hear someone's going to take over. I'm good with that. I'll throw my mantle over Elijah. And Elijah is mentored by Elijah. Elisha, Elijah. So we have a task. Your task, my task. Listen to God's voice. The Spirit of God, the family of God, the divine family, Father, parent, son, spirit, working in your life, and he says, what are you doing here? He says to us individually, he says it to us as a faith community. What are you doing here? And then he gives us a job to do. And we're invited to respond, to say yes. So the first part of the story then has to do with the pain of Elijah. God meeting him, reminded of the song, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. That, that hymn was one that Martin Luther King Jr. found really encouraging. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am warm. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. To be encouraged, to be renewed. God with us in our pain. You know, we've had the, the news story this past week of the Derek Chauvin trial. The murder of George Floyd. And, and we're told that George Floyd's brother, Philanese, through his time in the court, he had his hands clasped, and he was praying the whole time. So he becomes a symbol of relationship with God, symbol of knowing and waiting on God. Everybody else is hearing the conversations, everything else going on, and Philanese is in the court, and he's praying. He's praying. He's praying. God's strength for him in the midst of a very, very painful time, languishing. Feed on him. Feed on God. And then to listen to his voice. To feed on God and then to listen to his voice. To listen to the voice of Christ. We hear Jesus' statement, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. And so as we close, we recognize that God is the God who comes to us, and he comes to us and wants to not only partner with us, he wants us to commune with him. I am the bread of life. And then as we do that, also to hear and listen for his voice, his presence, to know that he is with us. And so as Jesus says in another place, but strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Feed on Christ. Listen for his voice. To not just feed ourselves physically, but to be concerned that we will be fed in the invisible world as much as the visible world. Through our life experience. To know him, to praise him. And then as we do that, we become bread. As Jesus is bread for us, we become bread for others. Farrell says he has given us bread from heaven that we might become bread for the world. You and I becoming bread for the world. Weston Park Baptist Church becoming a community of faith and being a community of faith, bread for the world. Here, Now, in the next facility, bread for the world. So all of this, I pray that through the Spirit of God, we might be receptive, that we might hear his voice, that we might want to communion with Jesus, that we might want to partner with him, that we might want to become bread for others. You and your world, bread for others. You and your family, bread for others. May we hear, may we be open, Maybe we be receptive to what God is doing in our lives, in our journey, right now. I pray these words in Jesus' name, amen.